podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast. On today's show, we'll be looking ahead to the Bob Willis Trophy final at Lord, looking back on an extraordinary end to the T20 Blast group stages, the start of the England-West Indies T20i series in the first three games of the IPL. I'm Yazrana and with me today is the managing editor of Wisden.com, Ben Gardner, and the Wisden Cricket Monthly duo of Joe Harmon and Phil Walker. We're going pretty in-depth on the Willis final later. We've got interviews with both Essex and Somerset captains, Tom Abel and Tom Wesley. But first, let's start with that crazy end to the blast. So going into that final round of games, five of the eight quarter-finalists, Notts, Lancashire, Surrey, Gloucester and Kent were already decided and you had up to six teams vying for the other three spots on the final day. The top two from the three groups qualified for the quarters, as well as the two best third-place teams, meaning that a result in one group could impact what was going on in another group and all the games were taking place simultaneously. With around 10 overs to go in the second innings of all the games around the country, it looked like Sussex, Birmingham Bears and Somerset would qualify. Then it all went a bit crazy. That Birmingham Northants game was absolutely incredible. Birmingham, who needed a win, were 20 for four. Then Adam Hose and the highly rated Dan Mousley put on a world record fifth wicket stand of 171 to get themselves up to 191 for five from their 20 overs. Northants, who needed a win themselves, were at one point 71 for six off 10 overs. Then Tom Taylor, on his Northants debut, hit an unbeaten 50 off 37. And Graham White blasted 37 off 12 from number nine to get them home with seven balls left. Somerset who needed to beat already qualified Gloucestershire and looked well on the way of doing so, were defending 161. Gloucestershire were 27 for 3, 50 for 4 and 80 for 5. Only one man scored more than 21 for them and that was Ian Cobain who were 89 or 57. Still though, when he got out with seven balls remaining, Gloucestershire needed 14 to win and Gloucestershire's tail got them over the line. And at Emirates Old Trafford, Leicester burgled a win over Lancashire to get themselves into the quarterfinals. Lancashire were 112 for one, chasing 155, and ended up losing by 22 runners. Colin Ackerman and co. got them over the line. Ben, the blast can be a really good tournament. That was quite an intro. I, I can see why you wanted us to talk about something else first. It wasn't just the <laughs> ad show for, for 10 minutes to kick it off. Uh, yeah, and, and, and even in that, I mean, Colin Ackerman, three wickets in an over. He's uh, becoming a T20 bowler of note. Graham White hit a... Uh, was it four six in his first five balls? So it was yeah. it was properly incredible. The the only slight shame was that it was it was so hard to kind of feel it all happening in real time because you had to you know click between scorecards and there was so much of interest happening that you kind of your distraction was in the wrong place at the wrong times. I can remember even even us and it's it's, it's literally our job to know <laughs> what's going on and we were like oh, okay so it looks like uh looks like Warwickshire are through and then uh all of a sudden you, you you just check back like five minutes later and it's changed. Cairns has got a lot of credit this this summer for having amazing streams, much better quality than before. But even with those streams, it was really hard to, quali- uh, to, 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 to follow what was going on because you didn't really know, unless you were following all nine scorecards at once, exactly which game you should have been watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the streams have made a, a huge improvement and especially to the, the T20 stuff because of the multiple cameras. I think if, when you're watching a, a four-day game, you can just about get by with a single camera thing because a lot of the action does happen in in that frame. If you've got like, you know, if someone's leaving the ball or nicking it to slip, basically, then you can see that happening in a, in a T20 game. Someone sort of has a swing at one and it goes at an angle. You have like no idea if it's going to be caught on the boundary, it's going to sail into the stands, basically. So that has really helped. But yeah, I mean, my, my suggestion was for a, just, just for, for a couple of the high profile days in the blast of which this 
would have been one would have been like a sort of a Gillette soccer Saturday style thing where you're you know and it, it could even just be like a, maybe an ECB sort of funded YouTube thing where you have just a couple of people in a like a you know a, a budget studio say just saying you know this is what's happening and then they are then completely on top of things going to the games of note when it's important and you can you could easily collaborate with the counties to like be able to insert little bits of those streams at various points i can see that being not too hard to pull together and would have yeah hugely improved uh how easy that was to follow and made it like uh because because it, it, it was it was so exciting uh it's just you only realized how good it was basically like half an hour an hour afterwards when you actually realized just how much had to change for Birmingham Bears to be knocked out basically and I think I think even when Birmingham Bears lost their game there were still quite a few people thinking like oh well at least we're through to the knockouts even if it's in a bit of a disappointing fashion and then actually having to be told actually <laughs> you are and then some I think Sky might have even announced that Birmingham Bears had qualified just kind of assuming that last year game was going the way of uh of Lancashire and then it didn't so It'd be really exciting with like live tables, like with with the predicted results. Yes, what the tables would look like. Yeah, yeah, he's going to win. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe worth saying it was particularly hard to follow this year, wasn't it? Because they'd gone to three groups rather than two, and then the best third place uh, teams came into play as well. That's partly why it was so hard to to follow who was going to progress and who wasn't. But also made it more exciting in a way. More exciting as well. But in in the normal way we've had it of North South group over the last few years, it would have been simpler to follow wouldn't it? Yes. But there's, some, there's a lot to be said for the, the three groups and I wonder if they'll consider sticking with that. Yeah, well, especially year. because you you, you couldn't have a, a full simultaneous round of games if it was two groups of nine because you've got odd numbers of teams in each group, which is, uh, I think, reason enough in itself to have three groups of six, I think. I mean, that that is what made it exciting, really, rather than having, like, you know, some teams knowing exactly what they have to do. You kind of just have to go and beat whoever you've got to play and then come off the field and see what, what's happened elsewhere is a a much more exciting format, I think. Phil, what do you think about Ben's idea? I, I kind of think it's, uh, you had all this amazing cricket, but it was almost impossible to know it was going on unless you were really, really trying. And even then you couldn't really watch much of it. Yeah, I guess it's sort of necessarily been quite a condensed and, and garbled few weeks for obvious reasons. Um, I, I like the idea. I like I like our, our immediate, almost sort of knee-jerk uh, reaction to it, thinking, well, you know... It, tiny little budget studio stick it on youtube funded by the ecb just get a couple of blokes in there whereas of course football has a sponsorship of a vast multinational brand and, and covers the airwaves of a saturday afternoon but now I, I i can see it christ i can see it of course um come the quarterfinals day at the moment they're uh, i don't know exactly when they're going to be scheduled at, at the moment the bbc is saying it's on thursday the first of october but i would assume that they might be staggered across a, a day or two i would have thought but it's probably worth just lining up those quarterfinals because there's some really good ties in there by by accident almost. But but you have you have Notts and Leicester, you know, classic sort of uh, haves and have nots. Pardon the pun, that was awful <laughs> and a mistake. Uh, but obviously, you know, Leicester is the ultimate feeder club to Notts. They'll be facing off in a Midlands derby. Surrey and Kent as well. That's a tasty fixture. That'll be at the Oval. Uh, Gloucester and North Ants, you know, kind of perpetual sort of overachiever type clubs, similar sort of size. Uh, and then Sussex and Lancashire, that's a really sexy tie, that one, I would say. Um, and so, yeah, out of out of the ether, we, we're going to have a pretty pretty interesting finals day, come what may. It's a shame that there's not going to be anybody in there. Uh, not going to, not going to, you know, they've announced regarding the Premier League that there's no chance of any football 
uh, fans getting in for next month. And the same will obviously now apply to cricket. I know there were some murmurs around possibly getting a limited number in for the finals day. That's not going to happen now, which is a massive, massive drawback for what's obviously a showpiece uh, day for the game. And this this is part of the reason for the scheduling in the first place as well. It obviously hasn't yeah. come to, to pass, but these these games are, are late. They're in October for the very reason that there was going to be the off, off, ch- off chance that fans might have been able to come. So they haven't got that. And we've got these games very late and it sounds like the weather is starting to turn from, what, Wednesday? So we just have to hope it picks up again and we don't have a kind of washout to what's been uh, a really exciting couple of oh, six weeks or so of county cricket. If I could just pick on a, a couple of the actual, the, just the team narratives, which I think have been a, a, a really interesting to watch. So last year, as Phil says, obviously the feeder club for knots, but also, <laughs> uh, also having one of the youngest teams in the competition and basically just just backing youth and that and that came through. And then Northants, I think, have had the uh, the most interesting ride because they absolutely stormed the first half of the competition. I think won four out of five or five out of six with a washout in there, and then had that that game abandoned because one of their players had tested positive for for COVID and then lose their next four in a row and all of a sudden from being tabletoppers are barely scraping through and then look like they're gonna come out with a you know an abs- like a really damn scoop of a finish getting smashed by Warwickshire and then come back completely from the dead on a couple of free performances. Uh yeah. That's especially, especially with North it felt like they're kind of the T twenty run had sort of have died off a little bit. They they'd got promoted unexpectedly in the championship and it looked like they were starting to kind of shift their attention, maybe not deliberately, but I think just the natural flow of players that had come and gone meant they had a side that looked much better suited to, to full day cricket. So to pull this off in T twenty cricket is is pretty impressive. I think they're one of those uh, I think everyone likes to see North Northants doing well, kind of the plucky underdog story. Um who's your prediction then to win it from the last eight? Well, I'm sticking sticking with knots. Said knots from the start. So you got four from eight from your magazine predictions. Yeah, which isn't much to shout about, but you know, in an unpredictable competition, it's all right. I'd probably. But, but we live in an age of shouting the odds, anyway, Joe. I'd shout that from the rooftops if I were you. I think that's pretty good going. And Chris, so Lancashire, Sussex, and knots I picked as, as semi-finalists at the start, and they're all all still in the mix. Although Lanks are playing Sussex, obviously the best I can do is is two at finals sure. day. Yeah, Lank, Lanks for me. Having seen them against Yorkshire on the telly. Uh, and I watched all of that one, believe it or not, yes. I watched it all from start to finish. Uh, I thought Lancashire were brilliant. It was actually a stunningly uh, engaging and enthralling game of cricket. Joe Root was playing less than 24 hours after uh, having got a first baller or a second baller against Mitchell Stark, um, but he's hot-footed it to Yorkshire uh, and decided to play in that one. I think he was helping them out as well a little bit, but uh, he was... he. Had a bit of stardust in there. Took two wickets. One with a with a kind of a, a leggy come Dusra type thing, sort of partly front of the hand, partly side of the hand. Anyway, it was an absolute jaffer. Bowled two, took two for nothing, and then hit a quick fifty, stunningly good fifty. Earlier in the piece, Liam Livingston, who's a fascinating cricketer, walloped sixty odd in no time, and then won it with the ball as well. Parkinson as well bowled uh definitively at the end two brilliant runouts as well Stephen Croft with a bullet uh from from deep square uh Livingston was ticking throughout the last half an hour of the game and even when they won it and they only won it by six or seven runs in the end he was still ticking as he as he sort of stormed off it was just a really really good advert for the game now obviously these are two big big time teams and they had probably more uh pedigree players and they would have done it at another period in the in the season of course but 
the stars aligned in that game and it was just a glorious sort of advert for for what T20 cricket can be in county cricket when you have all the all the key men all the key players and it was stunning i think Liam Livingston is a man who's rarely not ticking uh, mm. if you saw that uh, Lancashire against Durham Lancashire got absolutely smashed but after hitting Paul Cochran for a couple of sixes uh, then got bowled and walked off and basically erased one of the sixes by mouthing off at, at, at the bowler and copying a five run penalty runs yeah I, li- I like him a lot he's loose he's clearly loose uh, and and m- more of those kinds of characters for me in English cricket do you think it's that that looseness that might be why Joe Denley's been picked above him despite Livingston being better in probably all three disciplines in T20 cricket <laughs> probably he, cer- he certainly uh, he-, he doesn't go gently um, like, like a lot of you know prospective English players do like they tow lines and they do what's necessary and they mind their P's and Q's. He doesn't have that in him, but I don't criticise him for that at all. He is a real box office cricketer as a fielder. He's a good bowler in 20 over cricket. And obviously he can, he can waz a kit from, from the top of any order. Uh, but yeah, it was just it was just great. You know, I wasn't planning to watch it. I'd gone over to to East London to play some snooker and ended up watching the whole game. That was the reality of it. It was a it was a cracker. And obviously, Phil, Phil likes the thrillers, and I like the uh, when the playing conditions come and have have an impact. So uh, oh, I, was gosh, literally, really. I was literally just about to bring this so, up. So Le- Leicestershire's progression to the quarters was not just remarkable because of the youth and their you know relative stature, but also uh, they had to win two in two against them two two good teams. They beat Knotts in their penultimate game uh, with a five-run penalty for fake fielding, proving crucial. Uh, Stephen Mullaney uh, faked to dive when the ball was going nowhere near him, it sounds like. Uh, and then, yeah, the umpire's actually... Uh, I can't remember who the umpire was, but he uh, he got the rule book out of his pocket to show Dan Christian exactly where oh, in the laws lovely. it said. You must have been on the edge of the seat at this point. <laughs> yeah. so, there was like... A gather round. No exaggeration, there was a five-minute delay as the... Everyone was trying to work out what had happened. Oh, so like brilliantly was, cricket, that, isn't it? That's it great. Excellent. And he and literally then, does bring out the rule book from his back pocket, turns to the relevant page and explains to Dan Christian exactly what law was broken that's great. and what the penalty was. And then, and then, and then Leicester won off the penultimate ball. So was there are certain occasions crucial. over the summer where it's probably best that there haven't been crowds in. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably add as well that I tip Leicester's finish rock bottom in the central group, given that I've given myself a pat on the back for some of the other ones. Yeah, they've been, they've, been, they've been very good. Not just Colin Ackerman, Callum Pogson doing very well. Aaron Lilly with the bat. Uh, Gareth Delaney with the bat as well. Um, they've, been, they've been excellent. How's my boy Sterling got on? I saw him early in the, in, in it, the tournament. He did well and obviously give it away. Got 40-odd off about seven balls. Tailed off slightly. He's, he's got finals day star written all over him, yeah, doesn't he, he Paul Sterling? He's, he's genuinely, without irony, becoming one of my favourite cricketers, Paul Sterling. Um, and it's not some kind of nod to because he's a funny little shape and, you know, he's got a farmer's beard is because he's a genuinely great cricketer to watch Paul Sterling one of the most underrated talents out there I think yeah and and that's been a really nice actually theme of the blast is the Irish talent that we've got to see yeah ju- you ju- mentioned Delaney yeah yeah and um, uh, Andrew Barberney as well got a 99 ju- fully justifying their their status as overseas their players, overseas status yeah mm. um, and, and as county finances get hit uh, them as budget options especially in competitions when you know there's 100 going along alongside it could well see some more Irish cricket, which would be you know, really great to see. Yeah, well, Sterling, given his experience of English conditions mm. uh, and his experience of just T20 cricket in general, he, he's, I know you weren't describing as a budget option, but he's well well above that, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, a, he's actually a top-class pick. So whether he's, he might, Northampton might have some competition to keep hold of him next year. Mm, absolutely. 
Um, some people might have noticed that as well as the England men's team no longer taking need to show their support for the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of counties are not doing it as well. Um, prior to the Surrey-Kent game that was televised on Sky, Kent's players knelt before the game and Surrey's players didn't. Kent explained why they are still doing it. The Kent cricket squad made the decision that they would take a knee throughout the season in solidarity with anti-racism movements in the UK and around the world and not for any political organisation. With the full support of the club, our players wanted this message to remain in the spotlight and promote a culture of zero tolerance to racism or any form of prejudice. Kent Cricket is committed to working with the ECB, PCA and other stakeholders from all minorities and genders to make cricket accessible to all. Phil, is it oversimplistic to question why isn't every club and team in the land doing it? Especially, I guess, now that the Premier League's returned in a new season and the teams are continuing to take any there? When you hear that statement, it's it's hard to understand the logic and the position that's been taken by other counties to reject what seems to me to be a very simple, humble gesture, one that carries multitudes of symbolic resonance, uh, but that they they kind of inadvertently tapped into the issue around this, which is that it has been weaponized. It has been turned into a political, in inverted commas, issue. Uh, what, it, what, the, what the message was and is, and hopefully will continue to be, is one of you know, hope, reconciliation, or an awareness of decades-long, centuries-long institutional racism and, and injustice. It's not uh, an overtly political position or movement. Um, but of course, as we know, because we are forced onto social media, that's how it has been... Uh, reinterpreted and look everyone has the right to protest or not protest or make a stance or not take a stance however they want to um, and I'm not in a position personally of moralizing from afar but from a personal perspective I think it's a, it's a pretty ordinary look for the game the finals day uh, as we discussed, it's coming up in two weeks' time, but the, the, the Willis final uh, is coming up in, from tomorrow. Uh, the, the TV cameras will be trained on, on those games. Uh, they, these are showpiece games for English cricket, and it will be interesting to see what the teams decide to do there. Uh, but before we identify individual counties and ask, well, why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you just continue to reinforce what has to be seen as a positive message? We've got to remember that England and Pakistan in the Test Series, who and both teams were rightly lauded for the quality of the cricket and the, the, the sportsmanship that was shown and the fact that they were there at all and the sacrifices that were made by Pakistan, etc., etc. We've got to remember that uh, they had a token on their shirt, England, the England side did, and they chose as a, as a group not to take the knee. So what's happened? What's happened between... From that period where the West Indies and England both took a knee and in my head, most most right-thinking people applauded what felt like a significant and resonant gesture at the time, what's shifted? What's shifted there? Does the message become hackneyed or something? Does the message become irrelevant? Does the message become uh, diluted somehow? Well, not in my head at all. And, And... it's interesting to draw that comparison with uh, with the Premier League, and I think that's a very relevant um, distinction because the, the the footballers had the had the option. 
come the end of the season, they had the option to say, okay, we feel like we've made our, our, our stance, but now we're going to walk away. Uh, they've chosen to keep that message fresh and in people's minds. Uh, why, why the majority of English cricket has chosen to, uh, to, to not reject it, but to reduce it to a badge that's barely discernible on a collar. Uh, when you could take what is clearly now a universally recognized and universally powerful uh, symbolic physical position. Why, why the game has chosen not to, and I think, as you said, maybe before the show, it's, it's, it's the only kind of UK sporting organization or the first UK sporting organization to have rejected this stance. Having started doing having it. Having started doing it. Uh, why the game has chosen to do that, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see when the eyes of the game uh, and the eyes of the punters are on these two finals days coming up. It'll be interesting to see uh, if we see a, another change in direction. I fear that we probably won't. Um, and this has been brought into... We're not just going round in circles here. This has been brought into focus because last night, uh, the West Indies women's side and the England women's side both agreed. Uh, and Tammy Beaumont spoke very eloquently and, and passionately about it afterwards. You know, it's It's hard to escape the sense that we did it when the West Indies were in town. They go home, let's not worry about it for a bit. West Indies women come back and we do it again, which obviously completely defeats the point of the whole BLM movement in the first place. We're not just doing it when, when the black people are around. You've got to do it all the time. Uh, and look, perhaps, perhaps that's not fair. Perhaps there are other discussions taking place that have explained why this is happening, but I don't really see it that way. I would also say that people shouldn't do it if they don't feel it. If they don't support the movement, they shouldn't get, get on their knee. Uh, it shouldn't be tokenistic. But if we have got to the point where people aren't interested anymore, um, that's dispiriting after the after the start to the international summer that we had. It feels a li little like a lot of it was um, hot air, if, that, if that's the case, that people have already lost interest in it. Yeah, and, and there is there is something un uncomfortable about the, the Kent story in particular. They have a prominent black cricketer in Daniel Beldrum, and, and while it, it, it's dispiriting to think that that may be the reason why Kentar uh, committed to it in a way that other teams aren't. It was even acknowledged privately to you in a conversation with somebody who's involved in county cricket uh, who said to you, well, you know, it's probably because of Bell Drummond. Now, that's, that's a dispiriting position to take, but it's hard to avoid that, that sense. It's, it's, it's probably no coincidence that Kent have chosen laudably to carry on with this stance and that other counties, who, let's be frank, don't have players of colour in their ranks have chosen not to. Yeah, I, th I think that it, it speaks to a slight lack of just unity in the county game as a whole. In, the, in, the, in, the, in Premier League football, it's, it's a joint gesture and the, the teams arrived at it jointly rather than it being each team's individual decision to or not. Whereas in county cricket, that's, it doesn't almost seem like there's the forum for... I would just, what, one yeah, but I'm, I'm, as Joe said, I'm not uncomfortable with that. I think he's right that it can't be tokenistic and, and one can't be, be forced into taking a position that that they don't agree with. My, what I'm baffled by is why why that why that would be the pervasive position. But I don't, I, that doesn't make sense to me. I, th I think for me, it, and it's, it's dispiriting. It, it, it speaks to the fact that there's, there's actually been a, just a lack of discussion about it in general. You would hope that when this movement starts sort of gathering momentum, that it would lead to a you know a county cricket wide discussion, hopefully led by the few and too few black players within county cricket, and that's clearly not happened. And the thing, and so because the it, one of the interesting subplots, I suppose, is Joffre Archer and Michael Holding sort of going 
toe to toe in a way. Michael Holdings saying that it's it's lame that England have have stopped doing it. Joff Rutch saying I'm in constant contact with Tom Harrison. There's lots of work going on behind the scenes, which I'm sure is is true. But the discussion has definitely just taken more of a backseat. As so Justin Langer, when asked about Michael Holdings' comments, did basically say. So I'll read out his quote. He said, uh, "To be completely honest, we could have talked more about it. Perhaps leading up to the first game." There was so much going on leading up to us getting here. Maybe we should have talked more about it. Um, which, you know, th- there is a lot going on. Uh, they, they made a huge sacrifice coming over here. Sure. But it does just speak to the wider truth that it was a prominent discussion point for a few weeks and has just basically slipped down the pecking order. And yeah. by, by continuing to just to take, even if it is a gesture that in a way doesn't affect real change, it does keep it higher in the conversation to yep. keep I think bang on this then. There are uncomfortable realities that have have emerged this summer. Uh, English cricket is a white man's game. This is an uncomfortable truth. The game had a chance to come together uh, on this issue and to show unity around a positive message. And um, it's chosen not to. On to slightly less important matters. Uh, The Bob Willis final kicks off. How dare you? Tomorrow. Um, Phil, you're, you're going to it. You're going to live cricket. I know. How about that? You looking forward to it? I am. Um, I put my hand up for this one, didn't I? Um, barged through the the hordes uh, waiting at the door of Lords to to get my accreditation. Um, I haven't been in in any bubbles, uh, so to speak, this summer. So this will be, with the exception of a few stolen moments at the Oval, this will be the first proper game of live cricket that I've seen in its entirety. Uh, just looking at the forecast it's not too bad actually it's not too bad it's although 13 degrees on Saturday is going to be as, as a maximum <laughs> the first two days ensuring that it runs right through my weekend and will finish about 7 o'clock on Sunday night at the end of a five day game <laughs> which the first two days are probably going to be uh, rain affected um, am I going because Essex are in it yeah <laughs> yeah I am yeah uh, but it, it it's not just that it's not quite as myopic as that these are the two standout teams of the last two or three years in, in first-class cricket. Um, and as West, as Tom Wesley said to me last week, and I think, I think you've got him on the show later on, he said, well, it, it's apt that it's us two, that it's Somerset and Essex, the two standouts, really. Um, there will be class from top to bottom in both teams. Uh, you'll have, you know, you'll, you'll have Cook versus, versus Leach, if you like. You know, you'll have Lawrence and Wesley in there. You'll have two young, brilliant uh, Somerset players in Bartlett and Lamond be coming through who have both made runs this year. Uh, there's a lot to see and a lot to get excited about. And and Lords as well, which has been this kind of weird sort of gated wreck, you know, of, of this, and this will be their first, all right, they've hosted the odd T20 game, but this will be their first eyes of the game showpiece game. And we're in October virtually, which in itself is bizarre. So it's going to be quite an interesting experience, you know, walking walking down past the nursery ground and, and taking my seat and and thinking, wow, okay, so this is happening as the tumbleweed sort of drifts across the outfield. We, we were deprived of uh, the Somerset-Essex finale last season as well. They were the top two teams in the county championship faced off against each other at Taunton and it basically rained for four days. Yeah, so Wesley incidentally on that tried and failed to indicate that there isn't any needle between the two teams. I don't know if you picked that up when you heard the transcript, but but clearly there is there is going to be a little bit there between the two of them. Um, Somerset have felt reasonably hard done by the last two or three years to come up short time and time again. 
Um, and when you are going at each other, as these, these two teams have for the last couple of years, then then it's unavoidable. You're going to get a little bit of that. So spiky characters involved, aren't they? It's yeah, like there, there are. Palmer's there are. Not shy of a word. Craig Overton as well. Yeah. Did, did you coming. keep in Tom Wesley's description of Simon Harmer? Is that, that going to be revealed ble- later in the show? I bleeped out the last word of it. Oh, what a shame. Should have left um, it in there. We'd, we'd lose I, all of our under 18 but listeners. I think, but, but I think listeners will, will be able to work out what that last word was. It, it doesn't take um, a genius, yeah. does it? <laughs> I, was, uh, I was about to ask, when was the last time that uh, there was a five-day domestic game between two counties in England but then I realised this isn't going to go to five days it's, it's a it? lovely question <laughs> one that I don't have the answer to well yeah I, I, think, I think a bit of rain around could be a good thing because they're, they're two just hugely bowling dominated sides really aren't they I mean you've got Jamie Porter and Craig Overton mate, two of the best seamers in the in the county game and Jack Leach and Simon Harmer unquestionably the two best spinners in the county game uh, no one has made more than 200 against Somerset this season Essex made a habit of winning low scoring thrillers I think yeah Unless there is like a sniff from out of rain, it's it's not it might even go past three days, three and a half. But that was quite interesting. Listeners, you'll hear the Tom Wesley interview that he kind of alludes to the fact that they haven't actually peaked yet, Essex, yet they're they're still in the final. They basically won every game they could have won. So that's in a way ominous a little bit of a somerset. But as we've talked about before in this show, Somerset's bowling has been absolutely phenomenal. I, w- I wonder if we'll see with Somerset much of a, a hangover from that heartbreaking t20 blast elimination quite a lot of crossover between those two sides and i mean as much as you know it's, it's different formats and you know you'd hope they'd kind of try and get under the bridge that is a, a hugely dispiriting defeat to then have to like bounce back from do you think it would be quite a somerset thing to win this this thing it being a one-off tournament either way it's quite somerset i think which is good either way it's sort of like they couldn't even win the one that didn't count or <laughs> they've only won the one that, <laughs> that didn't oh, no, count. i'm going all five days how dare you say it didn't count <laughs> Uh, and but 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 also for some I guess because because next season the championship is almost a write off because they're going to have that big points deduction to start it off because of the the pitch they prepared for the last decider against Essex. Uh, so I think that 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 they'll, there's there's I think in a way more riding on this for Somerset than for Essex. Uh, yeah, you're right. Put it in but again, if Essex do win it, it, it's it's a phenomenal run of form, isn't it? Freakish, really, when you think about the variables that take place, and especially in a truncated season such as this one for them to nick it again that would be three and four for the, the top of the top that would be astounding and it will still be remembered i know it won't be the county championship but when people look back at, at this will still be included in list of honors that counties win yeah I think. it will that's right that's exactly right so essex have won i forget what the number is 21 i think in the last 40 years more than any other club that just gets added again, so it is significant, and it's, it's a title. It's, it's not a county championship, exactly. but it's, it's a title. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Well, Essex are going for their third first class trophy in four years. Phil, you spoke to Tom Wesley about their season so far and how they're shaping up for the final. Here is that conversation with Wesley. Obviously, to to be in the Bob Willis final is extra special because I think you know we we're just looking forward to getting out playing, but then Essex being Essex, you know, we, we resumed our sort of normal ways and just managed to get on a bit of a roll um, didn't, haven't played our best cricket in, in the four day cricket but we've still managed to get through to the final so um, it's it's made a challenging year you know even more special having something to play for at the end of it um, and do you know what if it's a one off hopefully it is a one off year with the Bob Willis Trophy this strange format um, it will be very special to win it and, and potentially be the only county to, to win that trophy has it been possible to sustain the intensity of a normal campaign, seeing as it's such an extraordinary, as you say, one-off season? Um, it, yeah, it has been, to be honest. Like, 
and I, and I was never one, and I didn't want to hide behind or use that as an excuse. You know, no crowds, um, maybe a less importance placed on it because it isn't a traditional county championship. But I think that, you know, as professionals, as professional sportsmen, you have to be able to sort of rise above that, and especially at Essex, because that's all I can really comment on. You know, every game of cricket we play, we look to win, and there's a lot of personal pride at the club. Um, and a lot of personal pride for myself, you know, taking over from Tendo, who's been so successful. You know, you don't want to then be that person that starts losing games of cricket for the club. Um, and, you know, and part of the potential reason, you know, why why we stop stop winning. So for me, it's been, it's been very easy to get motivated for because of the proud history that we've had at Essex over the last few years. You know, we, we want to win this trophy, we want to win every single game of cricket and we've been successful. So, you know, there's that added pressure that you want to continue to be successful. So in order to get up for the games and um, and make sure there has been that emphasis, it hasn't been too, too challenging. I think the schedule has been quite full on, which we knew was going to be the case. But... Um, you know, representing ethics and, and playing first-class cricket, you know, there's no excuse not to get up for that. You, you said that the boys haven't quite hit top form just yet. Uh, firstly, that's quite an ominous point if you're a Somerset fan. But secondly, on the good days, who have been really standouts for you so far? Well, the standout as, as, always, as always been is, is Harmony. Harmony's been exceptional. Um, as sort of like everyone comes to expect now and, and I don't want to take that for granted because you know he is a fantastic cricketer and we're very lucky to have him in the side um, our seam bowling has been incredible as well Sam Cook stepped up throughout the season Jamie Port has led the attack brilliantly without an overseas in Peter Siddle who's often spearheaded the attack over the last couple of years you know Port's really showed his class and showed how senior he is in our squad to step up and lead the attack and then the likes of, you know, players that have come in and done well. Um, you know, Aaron Beard last week at 4 for 21, second innings, helped us win that game. Um, some of the young batters, Feroz, Kushi's come in, showed a lot of promise. Paul Waters stepped up and scored a lot of 40s. Um, so it's been a, you know, it's been a, a combined effort, but I think, you know, our, our bowling has been, has been exceptional throughout the whole, apart from the first innings of the first game. I haven't seen Essex bowl better over these last these last uh, couple of months. Did you bang a few heads together after that first innings on the first game? No, like you know, we're quite a level-headed team. We just know we didn't quite get it right, um, which which can happen. Like you know, there was probably we didn't have the the preparation that you'd normally have for a for a normal season. So you know, we gave ourselves probably. You know that was the only time that we've we really allowed for us to be a little bit rusty, which still isn't isn't an excuse. We just we weren't we weren't good enough that first half of that game, but we still managed to come back and win it, which is sort of testament to you know the the, the squad that we've got. Um, but that, that, that was yeah. the game when you were a hundred hundred behind on first innings, right? That first game, so you yeah well yeah. behind the eight so ball. I think that's that's the only game I can recount at Essex probably in the last eighteen months. I think it's about right where, where the opposition have actually outscored us in the first innings which is an incredible stat well I think I think we, we've won 14 games in a row at Essex which is still like, a ridiculous stat as well um, but like we have prided ourselves like because as a batting unit we probably haven't scored the runs that we know we're capable of and I'm probably the biggest culprit of that but we have traditionally over the last 
couple of years always had a first innings lead which at Chelmsford is, is vital so that first game to obviously have a deficit and still come back and win is a real you know, testament to the character we've got in, in our squad um, Describe the genius of Simon Harmer well, How long have you got? <laughs> Simon Simon Harmer he is he's like, I actually did an interview earlier today um, about him I think there's a piece going out on him which he'll love um, he, you know he's just he's a match winner I think he, he's the best match winner I've played with in Red Bull Cricket for Essex um, if something's not happening in the game you know he always wants the ball and more often than not he makes something happen he's he's one of the most competitive guys I've ever met which is like a, a very good character trait for him and I think he drags people along with him just through his own performances and his own outlook and approach to cricket um, but yeah you just he just writes his own scripts to me, that big ginger f- <laughs> <laughs> Ben, you made the point that Somerset have to bounce back from that heartbreaking defeat. In a way, do you think that the tiny gap between their T20 Blast loss and the Willis final, like they were training the day after they lost the T20 Blast game, kind of is a benefit to them because they just have no time to think about that at all? Uh... I mean, it's it's so hard to know. I mean, it depends a lot on just the individual characters within that team. That that could well be the way it plays out, that they are just able to kind of completely forget about it because they can focus on something else or it can mean that they don't have time to fully digest it. And then when it kind of comes to sort of like a crunch moment against uh, against Essex, you know, because the other thing is that if, if there's a lot of rain around, this will come down to, to first innings lead. So uh, there'll, there'll, kind of, there'll be two kind of crucial moments. Won't it be about the end, it'll be about that point as well. And if, you know, Essex sort of creeping up close to them, some sort of feel kind of like, oh, here we go again, sort of thing, especially with you know, all the history of them coming close but not quite doing it. Uh, so, yeah, it, but yeah, it, it could go either way, I suppose. The, the one thing I was wondering, and I'm not sure if it would have been allowed or not, considering he didn't play any of the group stage games, but if they wondered about tapping up Babarazam just to stay around for a, for another week, wouldn't that be amazing? Just a little sprinkling of stardust on the, uh, would have on been the handy. final? Certainly handy, yeah. especially seeing as Somerset's batting is obviously continues to be an issue. I don't think it'll affect them too much. They're a pretty sturdy team. I know it's the the kind of narrative is still that they fall at the last hurdle, but that's really down to Essex's brilliance rather than Somerset's failings over the last couple of years. They don't lose too many games. Um, Tom Abel's a pretty impressive captain. Um, he was named captain what at age twenty two, I think, ahead of the two thousand seventeen season, uh, and then had a shocker of a year. Ended up dropping himself somewhere along the way, and Somerset only avoided relegation by one point. It's by far their worst year in in, in recent history. Uh, I think pretty much every other county at that point would have got rid of Abel as captain, gone for someone more experienced. But it's to their credit they stuck with him, and and they've got a, a really tight squad, um, some older chaps, but also some really good young players coming through. Uh, and Abel himself has suddenly turned into a a, a proper county all rounder. Uh, takes a lot of handy wickets. Um, he wasn't named in that enormous England squad at the start of Samosy, which was a little bit of a surprise because he'd been away with the Lions. But think, still, think there's a decent chance he might play for England at some stage. Yeah, um, and I guess one of the other interesting uh, storylines, I guess, around Somerset this season was in their last, in their must-win last group stage game. They had both Don Bess and Jack Leach available, but they opted to pick Jack Leach when they decided to just pick one spinner. Um, so I spoke to. Somerset captain Tom Abel about their season so far and specifically the departure of Don Bess and his omission from the side in their last group stage game. 
What's the mood in the camp like after yesterday? Um, does a short turnaround help you in a way? I guess so. Um, it's never nice losing games. Um, particularly, we obviously had that carrot at the quarterfinal. And as a team and as a club, we want to be co- uh, competing in all competitions. You know, I think we've got the, the squad um, certainly to do that. Um, but look, that's the way 2020 cricket goes sometimes. And yeah, we've got to dust ourselves off pretty quickly. We were back in training today, you know, and our, our sole focus now is obviously trying to give the best of our, account of ourselves um, in this final at Lords. Craig's obviously played for England in the past. Um, it's nearly three years since he first played Test cricket for England. He's played a little bit since. Do you think he's improving as a bowler? And, and if so, how so? I do think he is. Um, you know, this season is the best I've seen him. Uh, he's obviously had that, that opportunity to play for England and he's been given a bit of feedback and he's gone away, he's worked at it and, you know, he's putting it into, into match performances. Um, he's, he's running in that little bit harder and he's got that, that extra yard on it. Um, you know, his skill has never been an issue. He's, he's an incredibly skilled bowler. Um, and to be honest, I'm glad I don't have to bat against him because uh, I don't think I'd last too long. Um, but again, you know, Craig's taken a lot, a lot of the headlines, but um, the role the other boys have played has been, been immense within that. And um, yeah, it's been great to watch, to be honest, because, you know, Craig commits a huge amount to the team and, and he works so hard for us. So I'm pleased that he's got the rewards that he has done. I mean, yeah, just, just on one of, one, of, one of those other guys, Josh Davies, is, Josh, Josh Davies is somebody who people might have seen a little bit less of, but his record this summer is... It's among the very best in the country. Just a little bit on, on Josh for people who've not, who've not seen him bowl much. Yeah, JD, I guess he is a bit of an unsung hero. Um, again, incredibly skilled bowler. You know, we see it day in, day out in practice and in, in games. Um, you know, take, consistently takes wickets. Uh, he's very disciplined. Um, and he's a very popular member in the change room. You know, he's a great lad. Um, and, you know, he's had to work really hard to get his opportunity to take the new ball. And, you know, he's, he's Mr. Reliable. He never lets us down. Um, <laughs> he actually likes to think he's a batter, to be honest. But I think the way he bowls, I think he's, you know, his bowling has to be a strong suit. But um, we call him Big Vern because I think he, he, he's similar to Vernon Philander. Um, you know, and that's the sort of... You know, that, that's honestly how good we think he is. Um, and again, we're just fortunate to have him as part of our, part of our team. Mm. And then w- one of the breakout stars of the, of the summer, really, with the bat has been Tom Lamanby. Um, how impressive has he been for you guys this summer? And uh, as, as he's come through the ranks, has it always been clear that he'd be a, a red ball opener? Yeah, Lamanby has been, you know, hugely impressive. He's not the only sort of young batter that's that stepped up uh, this season. You know, George Bartlett, I think under pressure has put his hand up as well. And, you know, it's great to see those guys sort of coming into the team um, and in pressurised situations really sort of step up, you know. Dinning's Lamb has played um, up at Worcester when, you know, the finals on the line was was mature beyond his years and, you know, showed incredible temperament and skill. Um, you know, he's not always been an opener, but I think, you know, he's always had that talent and ability to adapt. And we've seen that in all formats of cricket. Um, and I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but, uh, you know, he's a very humble, humble lad. Um, you know, his feet are still firmly on the ground, but he's been fantastic for us. And, 
you know, it's quickly evolved in, into a leading batter for us in all formats. So it's been great to see, you know, again, sort of he's a great lad in the dressing room and, and yeah, he's become a, a huge player for us in a very short space of time. Um, and finally, you guys left Don Bess out the side for your last group stage game against Worcester. Um, was his impending move away from Taunton part of that decision at all? Or was it more to do with like, the balance of the side? No, it's, it's, it's nothing to do with, you know, uh, his move to Yorkshire. Um, he's, a, he's been a key part of our success over the last few years, um, you know, and um, he's one of my best mates. And, you know, there's few people more popular than Bessie within the change room. You know, we're fully understanding and respecting of his decision. Um, you know, we wish him nothing but the best. But again, the selection headaches every game we play, uh, to be honest. And we're blessed that we got sort of two international quality spinners within our team. And um, obviously, conditions change. Um, the balance of the side can change. Um, and sometimes we have to make those calls, which, which are really tough, to be honest. And, you know... It's never nice when you're leaving an international out of your team. Um, but we felt at that time it was a decision that had to be made. Um, the balance of the side obviously is effective if you're going with two spinners. But, but equally, what Bessie brings to the team is massive. So um, he's certainly not ruled out of our thinking because he's moving to Yorkshire and we're well aware of what he can, can bring to us as a team. How, how, close, how close was it between Leach and Bess? for that one spinner spot, I guess, for that Worcester game? It is so close, you know. There's, there's very little to, to pick between the two. Um, they're both quality spinners. They're both great lads, you know. Um, and it's been a, been a headache for the last couple of years, obviously, trying to sort of deal with that situation when you've got, when you've got two guys like that sort of competing for, for, for the spinner's role within the team. Um, and it never gets easier, to be honest with you. Um, but equally, you know, within that, it's, it's been a huge reason for our success in, or relative success in, in the last couple of years. So, look, we'll be, we'll be absolutely gutted to see Bessie go, but we wish him nothing but the best, um, you know, and hopefully he'll still have a role, role to play for us um, through to the end of the season. Um, England's women got their summer underway finally last night with a comfortable win over West Indies. Tammy Beaumont hit a 50 on a return to the top of the order. Nat Skiver and Toby Eccleston were in the wickets. It was a very professional performance for England. Lots of good contributions throughout their lineup. Um, ben, thoughts on that kind of new look England top order with Beaumont back at the top and Skiver at yeah. three? Well, I like it. And I think I think I like the, the funkiness throughout the order, really. I really like Nat Skiver at three. She said that basically I interviewed her before the start of this series and she said that it, like a that responsibility she kind of thrives on it she wants to be the best around in the world and part of that is being a very consistent a, a batter as the uh, two above her in the g20 rankings are sophie divine and uh annalise perry uh so she, she she didn't get the runs in the first game but I, I i really like her being able to kind of do it all there sort of lay the platform and put the finishing touch herself and then the promotion of catherine brunt and sarah glenn above Bram wilson because England had a bit of a platform I like too, and yeah, and, and Beaumont's obviously a class player, but, but she did seem a little odd in that sort of finishing role, considering that she's more of a, a fours hitter than a sixes hitter, you'd say, so she can really make use of that power play. So I quite liked that at the time, because I thought it was giving England some power in the middle order that they were lacking, but looking back on it, I think it was more because she was horribly out of form, and they were just trying something different, 
Um, because she'd had a, I mean, she had a, and then had a really poor T20 World Cup. Um, but she's still, I know Danny White's played the odd eye catching knock or brilliant knock in T20, but Tammy Beaumont's still by far their best top order player and is really important to them. I saw her saying that she was, felt like she's playing for her place given the poor run of form, which I think is probably a bit of a stretch. I think they would give her a long run to, to find that form back, but it's good to see her doing that again because she, yeah, she's absolutely pivotal for that, for that England team. Yeah, I, I think they actually they got a bit muddled during that World Cup because of having the two quality all-rounders in, in Brunt and, and Siver. So it means that you can have this huge batting lineup. But I think that kind of meant that players weren't quite taking the responsibility they should. And actually, still the best way to get huge totals is to have huge partnerships, I think. Um, I think especially in, in women's cricket. And so I think that if you have these kind of these specialist finishes, uh, but you have five batters whose job is basically to kind of bat for, obviously bat quickly, but bat for kind of as long as possible. Whereas you kind of had six players, all of, none of whom were taking responsibility because they had that depth, but that meant that players were kind of not able to come in and score quickly straight away. And actually that kind of was was muddling it slightly. So yeah, I think I like Bowman top for that reason as well. Mm. And I thought Amy Jones had a really good game as well back in the middle order, um, hit 24 of 16 and kept really, really well. So uh, she was standing up to basically everyone and Sky pointed out how much of a difference that makes, like, Beaumont in her innings was always standing outside of a crease and Jones didn't really let the West Indian batters do that at any point. Um, it's amazing to think that Sarah Taylor's retired and they've basically almost lost nothing in terms of a keeper, given that Sarah Taylor's the one of the best that this country's ever produced. Yeah, Shrubsole was um, firing in bouncers with Jones standing up to the stumps, which I thought was a bit harsh. And Actually, on, on England's attack, I think all, all of Shrubsole, Brunt and Skiver in the pace department all looked... Uh, as quick as they have been for a long time. I thought Skiver was noticeably quicker than she has been in the past. So, I mean, I guess they've had an enormous build-up but in, into this series, but still, that was good to see. Uh, my girl Maddie Villiers, uh, not not out and didn't bowl. So, you know... Batting a, a 10. Cursory nod to, to her. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, her, her sort of spin-twin buddy, Sarah Glenn, um, cleaned up Staff Taylor uh, with a with an absolute jaffer. Uh it, We've got we've got a leg spinner there, a proper genuine leg spinner. Uh, four overs for twenty four, seven, twenty seven with, with that big with, wicket, but with that that clincher really. And obviously with with Sophie Eccleston as old as the hills at twenty one bowling <laughs> at the other end. Um, you know she's a fine fine bowler, and obviously with with my girl Maddie as well. If it is going to turn, she can come in as a third spinner. This is a this is a team with with a lot of uh, versatility and variety in it. It's good. Good to see. Um, and then from a West Indian point of view, Deandra Dottin hit the biggest six I think I've ever seen in women's cricket, hitting Sarah Glenn out of the park. Um, I think her form bodes well for the competitiveness of the series. I think uh, if she had a bit more support, I think West Indies could have come reasonably close to that England target, made the game closer than it was in the end. Um, and finally, the IPL got underway over the weekend. And we've had three amazing games um, at the time that we're recording this show. In the first game... From our very English point of view, Sam Curran was the CSK hero, uh, taking a wicket with a new ball and smashing 18 off six after being promoted above Dhoni in the order in a game that CSK ended up winning in that last over. And a catch or two as well. Did he get man of the match in that? He didn't know. Um, Brady for his 70 odd. Yeah. Which was kind of fair enough, but um, yeah, 18 off six, I think, is. That's a top in it. Yeah, exactly. Especially like, I think, did, did he talk about uh, kind of knowing his, his role, which is basically. Six or nothing, especially when you've got Dhoni coming in behind you. One of the cleanest you. six hitters I've seen, I think. 
considering yeah. he's not that big a lad. Tony protecting his average there. You, you, <laughs> go, you, you go out and try and hit every ball for six and I'll knock off the winning runs if required. Uh, and you, but you do see that just the value of the IPL, both in sort of improving a player, but also in just proving how good you are. I mean, that that will mean actually more in a way than like performances for England, considering the player he got out in the power play was Quinton de Kock, who's you know, one of the best in that role in the world. And then won the bowl. I mean, it was a drag down that he smashed straight to mid mid wicket. But yeah, I do. A bit, I do a bit, bit, bit of a cut, you know. It's, 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 yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah okay. you, you He makes things happen. He, he does. Yeah, and and then won the bowls he hit for six was Jasper Bumrah, who is the best death bowler yeah. in the world. So true, that, true. that'll have proved a lot to England if they want to try and use him in that similar role. Sam Curran's very short IPL career has been quite similar to his Test career, almost where you are kind of like not really quite sure what his role is in the team, but he has now. I think he's had three amazing performances and he got, he got the hat trick to win a game last season and he also scored a really quick 50 as well. And in this game was obviously excellent, but again, not quite clear how he's going to be used. I still think he might end up at the top of the order. Um, I think with Suez Rayner not in the CSK squad, uh, there aren't any left-handers in their top order. So obviously, Curran mixed things up at the top. And also, I, I think he, he would be a really good power play option hitting it over the infield. Um, and also, not not to get too sort of nerdy on the IPL, but but they, they, they use two of their overseas spots in that top order because they have not that many top order Indian options. They, so they use Faf Dupasi and Shane Watson up there, which means they have to leave out some of Bravo to here if they want to play Curran. Whereas if Curran becomes one of those openers and Watson didn't look great in that first game and is kind of, you know, maybe showing, showing his age a little bit, then that'll allow them to sort of have those overseas options down the order as well. The second game was also amazing between the Kings Eleven Punjab and Delhi Capitals and a controversial finish as well. Yeah, well, especially the finish. I mean, it kind of it kind of twisted and turned throughout, but but when it got to the end and sort of Mayank Agarwal was uh, uh, sort of striking it cleanly, but but cramping up and Chris Jordan was kind of pushing him back for twos. And that, that was one of the turning points was uh, they ran a two, uh, which Chris Jordan was called one short, but uh, uh, replay showed that his bat was actually just in and they decided to decline to to go upstairs and, and and check it and then but you say just in it was clearly in yeah sure and, and it was and, bizarre like i can understand that umpire missing one short but to give it when they'd actually put their bat in just seemed absolutely bizarre and then not to change it afterwards yeah and the umpire's standing at kind of mid wicket which i'm not sure helps especially as well yeah so yeah it, it was it was a, a, a poor moment for the officials and then i mean it, it shouldn't have mattered because it came down to one needed off off three balls but uh, there was a dot. So, so Marcus Stoinis had the, the two two of the greatest twentieth overs you could have. Really, he uh, uh, hit thirty off the last over of of, uh, of Delhi's innings, and then took two. Uh, well, took two for naught off the last three balls of the innings. Uh, and then Chris Jordan had one of the worst games it's possible to have. Went for naught for fifty five odd in uh, in his four overs, and then five or six, including being caught off the last ball of the game, hitting a low full toss to square leg when a single was needed to win it. Uh, and then a super over which Rabada just dominated, came out and took two and two balls, and that and that was the game basically. With another slight hint of controversy in that Agarwal wasn't chosen to go and uh, and bat. I mean, he was cramping, but he was also his eye would have been in. Uh, I mean, yeah, so, so they went with Poran, who'd already got a duck yeah, in the game, and pair. then got yeah. a pair. <laughs> and I read on on Wisdom.com that years ago he, he played out a maiden in a super over yeah, is that actually have, is that have right you, have you seen the video of that no so uh the word play you you wouldn't describe it as playing out a maiden so narayan was bowling to him and he just didn't pick a single ball trying to hit everything for six and missed every single ball basically and then he got out on the fifth ball right um narayan yeah. ragging it miles and bowling absolutely brilliantly basically it's like yeah the, the the best t20 bowler there's been almost at the absolute peak of his game on the surface is helping him but i don't mm. think many batsmen would have got bound ball but yeah yeah 
Um, and then in the most recent game, RCB against Sunrisers Hyderabad, uh, the RCB won that game by 10 runs. Johnny Bairstow scored 61 of 43 in a losing cause. And despite being one of only two Sunriser Hyderabad batsmen to score more than 12, uh, got quite a lot of criticism for, for for the way he got out, basically going for a big shot against Chahal in Chahal's last over. I think um, he wears a Why Always Me t-shirt underneath his... Pretend, potentially. But Ben, you, you thought that was pretty harsh, the criticism of him, given how he, his innings single-handedly basically I think kept. you lost Ben there. He was just drifting, just looking out the window. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I was listening. I was, I was just, I was just deep, in, deep in thought, I think. Uh, and wondering when Phil's going to throw a ball at me next. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I think, I think Bairstow's a, a destructive player of, of leg spin at his best. Uh, I think it, the run rate was not yet not a concern. They needed, I mean, they didn't need 10 and over. They didn't need a run of ball. So you still need, did need to take some risks. And that's, that's the nature of the game, isn't it? You, you, you take risks. Sometimes they work the best players it works more often than not uh besto is one of those but sometimes those risks just aren't gonna aren't gonna work for you uh but yeah i mean it, it was actually a, a really really good innings really mm. by a, a, a brilliant player and it's good to see him hopefully because i mean he's, he's he's had a, just an odd summer for england in that there's been some games where he's just looked absolutely scintillating but he's failed a lot more than he succeeded and hopefully he can put together a proper campaign he definitely looked a fine form though towards the end of the summer which was a week ago so yeah, he looks pretty good touch. And I, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like innings like Pandy's thirty-four, thirty-three at number three, and then Priam Garg's twelve or thirteen at number four. Those surely come under more scrutiny than than Bearstow. Like that. Those are the innings that put him under pressure. They had so many wickets in hand, but were way behind the rate, kind of because the middle order guys weren't were, were only just going at a run of ball. Um, and in that game, there was the made an IPL appearance with a very impressive young opener, a guy called Dev Dut Padikal who is only 20. He, this is his T20 record um, it, overall. He's played 13 games only, fair enough. But he averages 63 with a strike rate of 171. <laughs> um, so on his IPL debut, debut is opening the batting with Aaron Finch with, with Coley and Davilias at three and four. He hit 56 or 42 uh, when scoring was reasonably hard to come by for basically everyone else other than Davilias and Bairstow in that game. So he's one to keep an eye out in the future um, I think that is the end of this show uh, <laughs> <laughs> cheers Phil cheers Joe cheers Ben this has Pleasure. been the, the Wisdom Cricket On Weekly bombshell <laughs> this has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast if you enjoyed the show tell your friends and if you're feeling especially kind why don't you give us a five time review on the podcast app. cheers Podcast Network.